The Yankees try to recover from a slow start to their season. Club co-owner Dan Topping makes a nostalgic announcement, and the Yankees dole out their largest bonus to a prospect ever. It's Episode 8 of Baseball 61. There it is. There it is. If it stays fair, there it is. Number 60. How about that? A standing ovation for Roger Maris, who got number 60. Fastball hits deep to right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Baseball 61, a podcast about the historic 1961 New York Yankees and the Major League Baseball season of 1961. I'm Dan Lovallo. We begin with Friday, May 19th. The Yankees opened a two-game series in Cleveland under the lights at Municipal Stadium. That's right. It was not unusual back then for a series between two clubs to end in the middle of a weekend. That's right, and this was the case this time. Timely hitting for the Yankees was on display, but the pitching fell apart. In the first inning, Roger Maris slugged his fifth home run of the season, and he did it off of Cleveland pitcher Jim Perry, Gaylord's brother. Uh, But... In front of a crowd of 21,240, the Indians kept fighting back, looking to end an 11-game losing streak against the Yankees, dating back to 1960. In the sixth inning, Yogi Berra slugged his fourth home run of the season, and Hector Lopez homered later in the game. But starting pitcher Bob Turley couldn't stand the prosperity. Faltering in the sixth, Turley gave way to Luis Arroyo. But on this night... Arroyo, Tex Clevenger, and Jim Coates all poured gasoline on the fire, and the Indians, trailing 7-4, going to the bottom of the seventh, scored five runs in the eighth, capped by a steal of home plate by former Yankee farmhand Vic Power to beat the Yankees 9-7 in a two-hour and 55-minute ball game. Suddenly, the Yankees were tied with Cleveland and Minnesota for second place, slipping five games behind the front-running Detroit Tigers. Saturday, May 20th. In the nation, tensions boiling over in Montgomery, Alabama, after a mob of white persons attacked bus riders who were of mixed races. Attorney General Robert Kennedy ordered 400 federal marshals and armed officers to Alabama to quell the violence. In Cleveland, the Yanks were attempting to split a two-game series. The bat of Roger Maris came alive as he slugged his sixth home run of the season and second in two games. But Jimmy Pearsall robbed Mickey Mantle of a home run in left center by the 380-foot mark as he made a catch with his back against the wire railing. And so the Yankees led 1-0 until the bottom of the fourth. That's when Vic Power, one of the heroes the night before, doubled to start Cleveland's three-run inning And so the Indians led the Yankees 3-1 going to the top of the eighth. That's when the Bombers rallied, chasing Cleveland starter Gary Bell with two runs to tie the score. But catcher John Romano's RBI double in the bottom of the eighth snapped the tie, and reliever Frank Funk survived a two-out ninth-inning triple by Tony Kubek by getting pinch hitter Hector Lopez to fly out and deal New York a bitter 4-3 defeat 
in front of 8,431 fans. Time of the game, by the way, 2 hours 38 minutes. The reeling Yankees had dropped to fourth place with a 16-14 and record, five games behind the first-place Tigers. Off the field, the Yankees announced that they had farmed out pitcher Duke Moss to their Richmond team. Moss, we acquired by the Yanks from the L.A. Angels, had a sore arm. Outfielder Jack Reed was recalled days after being sent to Richmond. In the papers, the Yankees regime of George Weiss and company were being roasted for never giving Vic Power a chance. Here is what John Drebinger of the New York Times wrote. Although it has been said before, it nevertheless bears repeating that while this fellow Power may be the showboat his critics claim, and Drebinger put showboat in quotations. He is also just about as exciting a player as the American League has had in a number of years. The fans were still buzzing over his daring steal of home Friday night. The Yankees once had this extraordinary extrovert, and heaven knows a player of powers, verve, and a land could do a lot toward pepping things up at the stadium. Of course, it was the previous regime of George Weiss that cast power adrift as a Kansas City farmhand in 1953 because his flamboyant style did not fit in with the more conservative Yankee mold. It's not likely the present administration would pass up another chance like that. Again, John Drebinger writing that in the New York Times. By the way, it was also noted that the Yankees had now gone 14 straight games without a complete game from a starter. No big deal in 2021, but a big deal in 1961. After two games and 24 hours in Cleveland, it was back to New York for a Sunday doubleheader against the Orioles, who were led by Jim Gentile, who lifted the Birds to a 4-3 victory over the Senators with his league-leading 12th home run of the season. Meanwhile, in San Francisco... A day-long drizzle had soaked the uncovered infield dirt, so the Giants called in a helicopter to help dry out the infield. (laughs) It didn't help, at least the Giants. Willie Davis, Frank Howard, and Junior Gilliam hit home runs, and the Dodgers beat the Giants 4-3 in front of 33,906, pulling second-place Los Angeles within one game of first-place San Francisco. And speaking of the Giants... It was announced that the late, great New York giant, Mel Ott, would be honored by his hometown of Greta, Louisiana, on May 28th. Ott was killed in an automobile accident in Biloxi, Mississippi, two and a half years ago. Governor Jimmy Davis proclaimed Mel Ott Day for May 28th. Giants manager Alvin Dark, owner Horace Stoneham, and Mrs. Ott would all be present at the ceremony in Ott's memory. By the way, in horse racing, carry back surged down the stretch to win the Preakness, the second race in Thoroughbred Racing's Triple Crown. Sunday, May 21st, the nation's eyes were on Alabama as Montgomery was placed under martial law. Troops were called in after a new riot as marshals and police fought a mob. In the Bronx, meanwhile, the Yankees and Orioles were preparing for a 2 p.m. doubleheader with temperatures in the upper 60s. A doubleheader that started at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. What's up with that? Well, Sunday blue laws. In fact, it led venerable Yankees third base coach Frank Crosetti to say, quote, ridiculous to start doubleheaders at 2 o'clock. You can buy a drink in a saloon at 1 p.m., but you have to wait another hour to see a ball game. 
What kind of standards are those? Several notables were at the stadium for the twin bill, including three Hall of Fame players, Joe DiMaggio, Pee Wee Reese, and Dizzy Dean. Reese and Dean were there for the CBS Sunday Game of the Week. Apparently, fans were hungry for baseball, the largest American League crowd of the season, and largest at Yankee Stadium before Memorial Day in five years turned out. 47,890. I could hear the voice of the Yankees' Mel Allen announce it on the radio. They paid attendance 47,890. How about that? In the first game, Roger Maris made it four home runs in four games and seven on the season. And Whitey Ford pitched the distance, allowing two runs on six hits in the Yankees' 4-2 first game victory. It snapped a New York four-game losing streak. The game got interesting in the eighth when Dick Williams homered to cut the Yankees' lead in half. Yes, this was the same Dick Williams who would launch a Hall of Fame career as a manager. In this instance, it was Yankees manager Ralph Hauk concerned about his failing bullpen, and he opted to stick with Ford and was rewarded as Whitey improved to 5-1 and one in a game that took two hours and 22 minutes to play. Second game, different story. Steve Barber, who would start the game in which Mickey Mantle hit his 500th home run in 1967 and would eventually pitch for the Yankees, started and pitched into the ninth inning for the Orioles in Game 2. And with Baltimore leading 3-1, he was then lifted after walking Bill Scarron and Tony Kubek. Enter reliever Hoyt Wilhelm, he of knuckleball fame. Cleet Boyer promptly reached on a bunt single when Wilhelm's throw to first was late. Bases loaded, nobody out for the Yankees. But Yogi Berra, pinch hitting, grounded into a double play as one run scored, and Bobby Richardson popped out to end the game, the Yankees losing 3-2 in 2 hours and 37 minutes. Among the notable moments in the second game was the ejection of catcher Elston Howard by home plate umpire John Rice. It was the first time Howard was ever thrown out of a game. Here is how John Drebinger of the New York Times reported it. Rice said he had ordered Howard out, not because of anything he had said, but because he was delaying play. Howard's version was that when the umpire made the call on Roland Sheldon's pitch to the batter, Whitey Herzog, he did not hear what Rice said. I said to Rice, what did you call it? He said to me, don't turn around. You know what I called it. Then I did turn around and said, I still want to know what did you call it? And with that, he threw me out. As for the attendance of 47,890, it brought the Yankees' total for 12 home dates to 205,633, placing them ahead of 1960's pace by 27,624. And the Yankees' president and co-owner Dan Topping was in the news, being honored for his work in developing amateur baseball. Topping would be presented the Terry McGovern Memorial Award at a Thursday luncheon in the Hotel Plaza. By the way, Topping's former co-owner of the Yankees, Larry McPhail, also making news on this date, announcing he was leaving thoroughbred racing. He sold his interest in the Yankees after the 1947 World Series triumph to co-owners Topping and Del Webb and began raising thoroughbreds. In San Francisco, meanwhile, on this Sunday, in front of 41,495, the Dodgers completed a three-game sweep of the Giants, winning 3-2 on home runs by Junior Gilliam and Johnny Roseboro 
and a complete game four-hitter by Sandy Koufax, who improved to 4-2. and two. So the standings through Sunday, May 21st, look like this. In the American League, Detroit was in first place with a 24-11 and 11 record. Cleveland was three and a half games back. The Yankees at 17-15, and 15, and Minnesota at 18-16 and 16 were five and a half behind. Baltimore was six games out, and the expansion Washington Senators at 17-19 and 19 were seven and a half off the pace. In the National League, the Giants at 20-12 and 12 with a 6-25 winning percentage, and the Dodgers at 22-14 and 14 with a 6-11 winning percentage were in a virtual tie for first, while Pittsburgh was one game out and Cincinnati one and a half games behind. Monday, May 22nd, 1961. Tensions remained high in Montgomery, Alabama, as 200 more U.S. Marshals were being sent to that state. And the FBI jailed four for their alleged role in a bus fire. Meanwhile, the Yankees and Orioles were preparing to wrap up their three-game series with a night game at the stadium. Yankees manager Ralph Hawk was looking to shake up the lineup, so he benched Bill Scourin, who was three for his last 23, and put Elston Howard at first base. Adding more intrigue, Roger Maris was removed from the game after the top of the first because of eye irritation. So, Hauk moved Yogi Berra from behind the plate to right field and placed Johnny Blanchard behind the plate, giving the Yankees three catchers in the game. Whatever Hauk did, it worked. Cleet Boyer slugged a three-run homer in the eighth inning for some big insurance runs, and the Yankees went out to beat the Orioles 8-2 to and win the three-game series in front of 16,923 in a game that took two hours and 43 minutes to play. Jim Coates, who relieved starter Art Dittmar with one out in the fourth, notched his fourth victory against two defeats. Luis Sorroyo closed out the game with two scoreless innings. The Yankees remained five and a half games behind the first-place Tigers in third place with an 18-15 and 15 record. Before the game, it was announced by American League President Joe Cronin that Orioles manager Paul Richards would manage the American League All-Star team because Casey Stangle, who managed the Yankees to the 1960 American League pennant, was dismissed. The Orioles finished second to the Yanks. The Phillies announced that pitcher Robin Roberts, who had lost six straight games, would not make the club's road trip because he had a pulled muscle in his right shoulder. But the big news was in college basketball, where it was announced both North Carolina and North Carolina State would de-emphasize college basketball because of both schools' involvement and the basketball bribery scandals. School officials announced it was either reduce the number of games and events in which the basketball programs participated or eliminate intercollegiate athletics by both schools. Think about that. This was back in 1961 in a collegiate basketball hotbed, North Carolina. Tuesday, May 23rd. As word broke that President John F. Kennedy would ask Congress later in the week to fund a program to place a man on the moon with the United States to be the first country to do it in a space race with the Soviet Union, the Yankees were enjoying a rare Tuesday off. Their next off day would not be until June 29th. Meanwhile, the first-place Tigers won their game over Minnesota 5-2, dropping the Yankees to six games out after just 33 games. 
Let me repeat that. Six games out after 33 games. And although the Yankees had the day off, manager Ralph Houck and second baseman Bobby Richardson spent the morning filming television commercials hawking shaving products. Who was concerned? Certainly not Houck. Houck did take the time to tell the media he was confident his club's offense had turned the corner and would start hitting. And he stated the reason Roger Maris was pulled from the lineup in Monday night's game was because eye drops he took right before the game caused an allergic reaction. Next up for the Yankees, the Boston Red Sox with a Wednesday afternoon game. Wednesday, May 24th, the Red Sox in town in the first meeting of the season between the two arch rivals. The Sox were also without Ted Williams, who retired the season before. In his place was a rookie left fielder and a native of Long Island named Carl Yastrzemski. As for the Yankees, Roger Maris was back in the lineup, but Mickey Mantle was sidelined with a pulled groin muscle. In the outfield, Maris in center and Hector Lopez in left played spectacular games, hauling in several long drives. At the plate, Maris belted his eighth home run of the season, a two-run shot in the fourth inning off of Gene Conley to give the Yankees a 2-1 to lead. Yastrzemski had scored the game's first run at the top of the inning on a sacrifice fly by Russ Nixon. Yaz just beat the throw from Lopez, sliding under the tag of catcher Johnny Blanchard. But the score remained tied 2-2 going to the bottom of the ninth, the Red Sox coming back to tie the contest. With one out, Bill Skarin back in the lineup tripled. Tracy Stallard, who would figure prominently in the season's last game, entered and walked pinch hitters Jesse Gonder and Bob Serve. Pinch hitter Mickey Mantle struck out, but Tony Kubek delivered a walk-off single and the Yankees had a 3-2 win in 2 hours and 29 minutes before 7,673 fans. Ralph Terry hurled the distance, allowing Boston only two runs on three hits to improve to 2-0. But the Tigers won again as Al Kaline and Rocky Calavito connected for home runs in Detroit's 5-4 win at Minnesota. And the Yankees remained six games back with a 19-15 record. It was also learned, I want you to listen carefully, uh, this particular story, listen carefully. It was also learned that in the multiplayer deal between the Yankees and Angels that sent Bob Serve and Tex Clevenger to the Yankees for Ryan Duran and three other players, the Yankees also sent the Angels $50,000. And how was this learned? According to a wire service story, A junior high school teacher named Don Akins was at a game between the Los Angeles Dodgers and Milwaukee Braves when he found a $50,000 check made out to the Angels. He showed the check to his dad, who coincidentally was the vice president of a California bank, to determine if the check was legit. Attached to the check was a transmittal slip indicating it was part of the serve Clevenger trade for Duran and the others. Aiken's dad said, yeah, it was legit. And so Aiken's forwarded the check to the Angels treasurer, and the ball club admitted the check was accidentally dropped by a Los Angeles club official. Presumably that official was still employed by the club. Thursday, May 25th. As promised, President Kennedy went before the Congress and asked for $1.8 billion to jumpstart the nation's space program and put a man on the moon. At Yankee Stadium, 
The Yankees posted 11 hits and got two run homers from Tony Kubek and Johnny Blanchard to beat the Red Sox 6-4. Kubek's homer traveled 360 feet and landed in the Yankees' bullpen in right field. Oh, those great bullpens. One in right center, one in left center. Remember those? Uh, With Mantle still sidelined, by the way, Maris went back in center, and in the ninth inning he made a spectacular one-handed running catch on a drive of more than 400 feet off the bat of Frank Malzone to preserve the win and improve starter Whitey Ford's record to 6-1. and one. Ford pitched seven innings and allowed four runs on five hits. Luis Sorroyo closed out the contest with two scoreless innings. The game took two hours and 11 minutes to play and was played in front of 13,807. And with the Tigers losing, the Yankees now 20-15 and 15 were five games out of first. Meanwhile, off the diamond, Dan Topping was being honored at a luncheon for his contribution to youth baseball. Remember, we talked about that earlier in the podcast. Topping also announced that the San Francisco Giants would make their first return to New York since moving west to play the Yankees in a June 24th exhibition game for the benefit of Sandlot Baseball. Also at the luncheon, Commissioner Ford Frick was the guest speaker, and he used the occasion to say that baseball was not dying. Yes, they were having that conversation 60 years ago. Baseball is not a rapidly dying sport, the commissioner said. Since 1940, we have seen 7,500,000 players between the ages of 10 and 20 playing on organized teams with regular schedules. If baseball is dying, it's got a long way to go. By the way, almost to back up what the commissioner was saying, the Yankees announced that they had lured an All-America football quarterback from the University of Mississippi to play baseball by doling out the largest bonus they had ever given a prospect, $100,000 to a catcher named Jake Gibbs, who chose the Yankees over the Braves. Gibbs had also been drafted by the Cleveland Browns of the NFL and the Houston Oilers of the AFL, but chose baseball. The Yankees announced that Gibbs would get his Yankees indoctrination by working out with the big league club over the next two weeks, both at home and on the road, and he would do it under the direct tutelage of Coach Frank Crosetti before being assigned to their Richmond club in the International League. Next up for the Yankees, the Chicago White Sox, in town for a four-game, three-day weekend series. And that's where we will wrap up Episode 8 of Baseball 61. Be sure to follow our podcast in the Apple Podcast Directory, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also visit my website, Baseball61.com. As always, thanks for listening to Baseball 61. I'm Dan Lavallo.